mentors are invaluable. A lot of things you could do on your own. You could figure it all out. Like if you wanted a podcast or you wanted to get strong or you wanted to build a business, you could figure all that stuff out. Other people have done it. Surely you and I could do that. Of course. But I want to accelerate it. Yeah. Like I don't want it to take five years. I want it to take one year. Yeah. And through mentorship and them telling you, hey, do this, change this, tweak that, look out for these pitfalls, jump on this, do this. That accelerates the entire process for you. So people will say, oh, coaching is so expensive. Well, try not coaching. When I grew my financial planning practice in the early years, man, I really struggled and I lost out on hundreds of thousands of dollars because I was too arrogant or too ego-driven or too greedy to hire a mentor and I ended up biting me. If you want to get it done, you can do it by yourself. If you want to do it fast and effectively and efficiently, then bring in coaches and mentors because they're going to help you exponentially and they're worth their weight in gold. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today on the show, we are talking about how to deal with the victim mentality and own your life. And listen, life will present a thousand and one reasons for you to quit and give up when things get tough. But how you choose to respond to these challenges is the ultimate X factor in how things will play out. And it all comes back to taking responsibility and empowering yourself to make the right decisions to move forward. And my guest today is going to help inspire you to do that. And my guest today is Ryan Mickler, who is the host of the highly popular Order of Man podcast. And Ryan is a combat veteran. He's a husband. He's a father. And he shares today on how he bounced out of some pretty deep despair that included taking responsibility to help save his marriage that was quickly headed for divorce. He and his wife were separated for four months. He shares the pivotal role that fitness played in his transformation and why fitness is so important. Uh, he talks about uh, how he deals with criticism and some bulletproof advice on how you can overcome the victim mindset and so much more. And what I really value about Ryan is that like many on the show, he has turned some massive hardship into massive success and used those setbacks to not only inspire himself, but to inspire so many other people. And Ryan grew up without a permanent father figure in his life. And it's really catapulted him um, and how he shows up as a father, how he shows up as a husband, how he shows up as a man, and to be able to help so many other people do the same. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Ryan Mickler to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Glad to be here. I've been looking forward to the conversation. I know we've been connected for a while, so it's about time we make this happen, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been following you for a long time, and I'm so impressed with your content, how you take a stand for everything, how you respond to criticism. And it's funny, man, like today, looking at you, you're like the epitome of taking responsibility for yourself, fitness, family, being a man, being a leader, having an incredible family and that sort of thing. But I know there's a backstory behind that, right? I, what I'm really 
inspired by people is how they're able to take their pain or adversity and turn it into some sort of purpose so that they can help not only themselves, but other people kind of navigate through that. So walk me back. Like, I know like it was back like 2008, maybe 2009, you're facing potentially getting divorced from your wife. You're incredibly overweight. You're stuck in this victim mindset. You're at a really low point in your life. What happened? How'd you get there? And then how the heck did you bounce out of it to get where you are today? Yeah, well, first I got to say, I, I appreciate the vote of confidence on this like epitome of responsibility and all that, because I certainly don't feel, <laughs> feel like that. Man. I, I try to be disciplined. I try to be committed. I don't feel like I have the right to tell or even suggest to other men that they improve their lives if I'm not improving mine. But I, I can't say I'm without fault and I, I certainly mess up my fair share of time. So anyways, I, I just wanted to put that out there first is... I got to knock myself off the pedestal you may have put me on there and, and, and ground myself a little bit. <laughs> well, it's admirable that you take a stand and you put it out there because it's not easy, especially in today's society, but to really, to really have that message and saying, you know what, stop being a victim, take ownership for yourself, do the right thing, be a good person. I mean, it's not an easy task these days with everything going on. And I just admire how much you put yourself out there. And then how you kind of respond to criticism. You're like, you know what, if you don't like what I'm posting, you don't have to follow me. Yeah, it's funny, man. We live in this weird world. I, in fact, I just made a post in our Facebook group and I, and I told the guys, I'm like, look, you don't need to message me and tell me I'm wrong or an idiot or biased or whatever else. Or even my, and I said my personal favorite, you don't have to threaten to leave the Facebook group because <laughs> like 5% of what I say, it, just leave. Like it, it's okay. And I wish you the best. I want you to find what you're after. But really what I share, Doug, is I share things that that I need to hear. I almost feel like in a lot of ways, what I do on the podcast and what we do in, on Facebook and Insta and everywhere else that we are is really just like a journal for myself. Like I'll make a post and I'm like, I need to hear that message just as much as anybody else. Cause like I said earlier, I fall off track more than I care to admit, but yeah, to go back to your previous point in question. Yeah, it was about 2008, 2009, somewhere right in there. I don't know the exact timeline right offhand, but yeah, my wife and I, we went through a, a separation I blamed her for a lot of the reason we went through that. How could she do this? Why was she disloyal? Why wasn't she doing the things that a quote unquote good wife should do? And I came to the realization several months into our separation that I actually had a bigger part to play than I had initially let on. She wasn't without fault or responsibility. She would admit that as well. But we were able to transform our relationship after a two to three, four month separation. And I think the, the primary reason was is because I took responsibility for myself, potentially for the first time in my life. And I stopped mm -hmm. casting blame on everybody else and said, you know what? Some of that might be true. I hear people talk about the economy. And of course, we're in the midst of COVID and I lost my job and this and that. I hear these kind of things and it's like some of that actually might be true. But that's the trap. The trap is that some of it's true. Because if you believe that it's true, even to a degree, then I think we as human beings will rely more heavily upon that reason, that justification for our own shortcomings. And that's why I resonate so deeply with what Jocko talks about when he talks about extreme ownership. So yep. yeah, if the economy is in ruins or you've lost your job or you're dealing with a medical condition, it's like that all sucks. Those are external circumstances, but what can you control? What can you control? And what can you influence? And that's what I found when my wife and I went through our separation is, is as I took it upon my shoulders, again, not to excuse her of any responsibility she had, but just to give myself some power. And that's what responsibility is, right? It's power. It's power to change your life. If you 
abdicate your responsibility, you're giving away authority. You're giving away power and you're doing it voluntarily. Because what you have to do is if you say it's Doug's fault, I don't have what I want to have, then I have to wait for you to change or wait for you to bestow that the hand of bounty upon me in order to have what it is I want in my life. But I can't control that. So, so I say the better approach is to stop focusing so much on external circumstances, although there might be a ring of truth to it, and start focusing on the things that you can control. And that's what I did uh, in 2008, 2009. My wife and I have now been married for uh, 16 years this year four beautiful kids. We just moved up here to our dream home in Maine. Things are good. And a lot of that is because I've over the past 12 years now or so have been really capable and willing to shoulder the burden of responsibility in my own life. Yeah, man. There's so much I agree with. As a matter of fact, like everything, right? Because, you know, you're right. You made some great points that the moment you relinquish control over your life onto somebody else you lose because you're waiting around for other people to change you're waiting around for other people to do the work for you and at the end of the day right like it's, it's up to you right and i love what jocko says too like you lost your job like good like you broke up with your girlfriend like whatever good like it's on you now like what's next right and right. I, I ran into the same problem for me when i was incarcerated i had spent most of my teens and up until I was 20, 21 years old, blaming my circumstances, right? Blaming my parents for their divorce, blaming abuse, blaming kids for bullying me, blaming girls for rejecting me, my unathletic ability, all this stuff, the drugs, blame, 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 victim, victim, victim. And while I was a victim, quote unquote, in certain circumstances, right? There were some unfortunate things that happened. I chose to respond to those circumstances in the way that I did that got me in jail. And what happened for me was my cellmate, after me looking at him, he was wondering, why are you in jail? What got you here? And I said, yeah, it's my parents' fault. They got divorced. These kids bullied me, these girls. And he looked at me and he literally was like, quit being a bitch. And I tell this story a lot because it's so powerful. And it changed my perspective, man, on life as soon as he told me this. And you're in jail, right? So being called a bitch and also where I grew up, you don't want to be called a bitch, right? It's not a, not a good thing. And I just said, what do you mean? He's like, you're blaming everybody for your problems. He's like, did somebody put a gun to your head and tell you to sell drugs and your parents got divorced like through that or whatever? And I was like, no. He was like, did, did somebody put a gun to your head and tell you to put oxy up your nose after a girl rejected you? I said, no. He's like, did somebody force you to leave job after job and act in the way you, I said, no. And he said, plenty of people's parents get divorced. Plenty of people get abused. Plenty of people get bullied, but not everyone's in jail. You're in jail and it's up to you now if you're going to change. He said, you can be a man or you can be a bitch. He said, 95% of people, 95% of people will be a bitch, quote unquote, and cry in the corner, say, woe is me, get pessimistic, blame people for their problems, and they won't change. But he's like, if you can be that 5% and be a man, or I mean, I have men and women that listen to this show, a woman, a human being, be a human and just take responsibility and control of your own life and your own actions and your own responsibility for what you do, it gives you an opportunity and a chance to change. There's no guarantee. You still have to do the work. Shit's going to happen, but it gives you a chance. And I think too many people now with COVID, you know, losing their jobs, everything that's going on, the divisiveness of our country, we still have personal accountability and responsibility to ourselves and how we treat one another. We, we got to stop blaming people. So I love what you said about that. And it's just so interesting to me because I'm sure for you with your dad leaving your mom and everything that happened with the men that walked into your life after that, not having a role model as a father figure, I'm sure there was a lot to blame for that. And I think once you had the courage to step back and say, you know what, like all that shit sucked, 
And it's going to invigorate me now to be this man for my kids, to be this man for my wife and to be a role model, like I was saying at the beginning for human beings. So I just want to commend you for your transformation, man. And the message you put out there once again, but thank you. Yeah. And so what I wanted to kind of follow up with is how do you really think people though? Cause there's so many people right now for me, I was in jail and I had this guy tell me for you, you hit like this rock bottom moment where you realize being the victim doesn't work. Let's say somebody listening to this right now is just in that rut of blaming somebody for their problems. What are a few things they can do to quit being the victim and kind of get into that extreme ownership mindset? I just answered the question. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. That's it. Just answer that question. I I think we have a tendency of making things like more significant than they really are. And and you and I are in the world of, you know, we're marketing, right? We're marketing our podcast and what we do. And so I use grand language and some hyperbole when I share things, but my dad was out of the picture by the time I was three. Is that, is that something truly unique? No, millions of men have gone through that. My wife and I went through a separation. Is that something that I overcame insurmountable odds? No, millions of men have gone through that. The only difference between the guys who get over it and deal with it are the ones that say, okay, yeah, shit, that, that sucks. What next? So Look, if you're listening to the podcast and you're feeling like you're feeling like something's happening, then you got to let go of all those external reasons as to why it's happening, even if there's a ring of truth to it. You just have to let it go. You have to. And if you're not willing to let it go, then okay, just resign to living the life of mediocrity. And if you're okay with that, that's fine too. Then just be okay with that. Turn the podcast off, put the self-help books down, and just go live your life, go work your nine to five and the job that you kind of like, but kind of don't live for the weekend. You can be around, around women who you can stand and tolerate, but don't really actually want to be around. Uh, you, you don't have to be deeply connected with your kids. You have to have no passion and meaning in life. And that's what you're after. Then all the power to you. But yeah. if you really want something more and you want to do something more significant and you want to have a deeply connected relationship with your wife and you want to be tied to your kids and uh, you want to be, you want to have increasing income and you want to pay off debt. And you want to get in shape and you want to look good naked and you want all these things, then take responsibility for it and say, okay, yep, that sucked. What do I do now? And what's the very next step? A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll think, okay, well, I'm 50 pounds overweight and, and I want to be 180 instead of 230. So, you know, I'm just going to go for it. It's like, I appreciate that. But like, when's the last time you actually went to the gym? Well, it's been 10 years. Okay. So maybe your expectations are a little greater than they ought to be. Why don't you just worry about cutting out the processed sugars this week? Mm. That's it. Or not eating after seven. That's it. And then I say seven o'clock because that's what it is. That's my temptation is late at night. I can just binge eat. I can eat everything. Like I don't actually eat very much during the day because I'm distracted, right? I got (laughs) podcasts and emails and I've got things I'm doing. So like I don't eat a whole lot during the day. But when I'm sitting down at night and everything's done, I'm like, give it all to me, right? That's my temptation. But I recognize that I'm truthful about that. So you have to deal in honesty, right? And so I'm, I'm honest about that. And then I can formulate a plan to help me overcome that. But yeah, that's really what it is. I wish I had some great strategy and said, that said, do these three magical things in your life. All your life's desires will come true. Really, it's just saying, okay, yep, that sucked. What do I need to do next? I had a, uh, a friend of mine. We got into the financial planning business together 10 plus years ago or so. Maybe, maybe, maybe closer to like 13 years ago now. And I would tell him things. And I can't remember what we would be talking about. But he would always say to me, therefore what? And he used to piss me off. I'd tell him something like, therefore what? I'm like, why do you keep saying that? He's like, I just want to know why you're telling me that. 
And it pissed me off at the time, but looking back, I'm like, no, that was actually a really good comment because it's like, why are you talking? Why are you telling me that? Why does that matter? Why is that relevant? And so we get stuck in talking and we don't ever move to the therefore what component, which is the action. So I think that's the right mentality you have is like, okay, stop dwelling, stop pontificating on your problems and just answer the question, therefore what, and then go do it. Even if it's a micro step in the right direction, you can compound that tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's so true, man. We, we spend a lot of time like spending 95% of the, the uh, time like focusing on the problem instead of the solution when really if we put 95% of the energy into the solution, we would live so much better. And you're right. Like if people don't, don't want to change, I mean, what I think the tip you gave, like, what are you going to do about it is perfect because you have the circumstance, you have the situation. It's like, okay, what can you control in this situation? Well, you can control whether you're going to exercise, you can control who you're going to surround yourself with. You can control what you're going to listen to and watch and stuff. And as far as the media, you can control your nutrition. You can control like all these things you can control, right? You can also control though. You have control if you make bad choices, like that's on you, right? So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to act in a way that's conducive to who you want to be out of this adversity, out of this tough time, out of whatever you're going through where you're playing the victim, right? But if you're making a choice to not do that and to keep going down this downward spiral, you gotta you can't be upset with the results you didn't get because you didn't you weren't willing to put in the work right and right. you're right the whole your whole co- comparison to losing 50 pounds yeah if you haven't been to the gym in 10 years trying to go all out and lose 50 pounds all at once is probably not realistic long term yes but just going out and going for a 20 minute walk three four days a week when you have an exercise in 10 years that's a win right because it will right. obviously improve your self-confidence it'll give you a way to stay committed and you'll build off these small wins, right. That'll add up to something, you know, greater. But I think so many people, they, they do the exact opposite that they should do. And I always like kind of relate it back to like adversity or any kind of problem is like a golf ball. And when we respond to it, we become pessimistic. We'd be blame victim drugs and alcohol. And we make this golf ball size problem into a bowling ball, right? Because now we not only have the adversity in itself to deal with, whether it's losing a job, breaking breaking up with somebody, a fight, whatever. But now we have these other outcome or these other circumstances we've created as a result of the way we, we responded. And one of the things that I think is incredibly, again, fascinating about you is that people would probably look at you and think that you've just been this way your whole life. And, and really, you haven't. You've, you've shared that, that this is not the way you always were. But when you weren't this way, your life was a freaking mess. And I think that's the message, right? Is that when you do play the victim and when you do blame other people and you don't take ownership and responsibility and be that like human being that takes control of their life, you lose. It's guaranteed, right? And my next question for you is this, is that, I know that fitness has played a massive role in like your quote unquote comeback story. I know your self-esteem was in the gutter. You were incredibly overweight, you know, years ago. And, and now fitness is a big part of your routine. I saw a, a video or it was a picture, I think, of your son exercising. So I know it's now, you know, kind of spreads out amongst your family as well. Like what role does yeah. fitness play in your life and how does it really impact and elevate other areas that you're working on? The, the beauty of self-improvement is it doesn't matter in which capacity you improve, it will positively impact every other facet of life. So if you improve your fitness, it's going to improve your relationship. If you improve your work capacity, it's going to improve your fitness. If you improve uh, your ability to communicate effectively, it's going to permeate across other facets of your life. Like it's just wherever you decide to plug in. 
I like to tell people when they're trying to get on track, because usually it's not just fitness. Their fitness is out of whack. Their finances are shit. Their family life is horrible. They're, they're depressed, potentially even suicidal. So it's not just the fitness component. So it's like, where do you start? I tell people to start at fitness because it's easy. Like everybody knows what to do generally. You just Initially, you just got to move a little more. That's it. Now there's technique and all this stuff and all the little nuance you can learn and you should eventually. But really, you just have to move a little bit more initially. And the beautiful thing about the fitness arena is you see uh, results almost instantaneously, especially for men, just with the way our metabolisms work. If a guy's 50 pounds overweight and he commits to doing an hour of exercise today and every day this week and then cuts out the processed sugars, in five days, he'll have, lo- he'll have lost five, six, maybe even 10 pounds Like if, if he's dedicated to it. like You'll see the results instantaneously. And then because you see the results, that creates the reward loop, right? So now you're rewarded for your effort, which causes you to continue to go forward and to continue to make changes and to delve deeper down the rabbit hole. And then you see it impact and improving other facets of your life. And it just plays this amazing, positive snowball effect. And that's why I say, get ready and get going on the fitness stuff first. And that's what I did. I remember vividly, I was sitting on the curb. There was a I think it was either a 4th of July parade in our hometown or Peach Days Parade, which is another citywide celebration for the, for the peach harvest. And a woman who came by, and I knew who she was because she married a high school buddy of mine, and she gave me a flyer, and they had opened a CrossFit gym. And I said, you know what? I, I need to do something. A week earlier, I came home from work, and my boys were tugging on my pant leg, and they're like, Dad, let's go play. Let's go jump on the trampoline. And I remember vividly looking them in the eye and saying, I'm sorry, boys, I can't. Like, I literally could not. I was exhausted after work. And I sat behind a desk and I talked with people all day. It wasn't like it was, it was physical manual labor. It was like easy stuff. And that was the moment for me. And, and so I started doing CrossFit and then started not too long ago, several years ago, getting into jujitsu and strength training. And then I started doing some hunting. So I, I had to build up the cardio for doing the spot and stock thing and the Western hunts I was on. And it's just become a part of my life. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't have some form of exercise, whether it's strength training, uh, jujitsu, even Sunday, it might just be bouncing on the trampoline with my kids and going for a walk with my wife. But it just clears my mind. It just, it, it just, it helps every facet of my life. It's, it, it really is a critical component of what I'm doing. Yeah, man, it's everything. It's been everything for me as well. And I, when I first started exercising, like when I was in jail, I couldn't do a push up. I couldn't even do one for my knees. But one push up led to two, two led to three, three led to four, four, and so on and so forth. And to the point where I was able to do like a set of 10 and run a mile before I, I left jail. And what happened is it wasn't like the push ups and the running, what did it? It was like how it made me feel. It was like, wow, I can actually stay committed to something. I actually have some structure in my life. I'm able to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then it was like, well, what's next? Okay, like I have the confidence and the ability to achieve goals in this area. So maybe I'll change my nutrition. So that inspired me to change my nutrition. Then I looked at like who I was spending time with and I was like, wow, like the way I want to live as far as being healthy and improving myself as a human being and everything else wasn't aligned with my friends who were doing drugs and going out every night and partying. So I, it elevated me to, in a way to change my surroundings and then catapulted me into writing books and doing all these things. And the reason I even bring this up is just to your point, it all started with fitness. It all started with working out, investing in myself, showing myself that I cared enough about my body 
Because at the end of the day, we're only gifted with one body. And many of us as human beings, we want to be that person that when we're older, we're able to walk our person down the aisle. We're able to defend our home if something ever, God forbid, would happen. We're able to play sports with our kids and then go on and on about the adult activities we all want to be doing. And you got to be fit to do a lot of that stuff and to have the endurance to, to carry on with. And the other thing, my last point is like you can be mentally fit, emotionally fit, and spiritually fit, right? And not be physically fit. But when you're physically fit, those other three areas, like game over, they're so much more elevated. You're able to accomplish so many more things because you're just so much hy- more hyper-focused because your confidence is up, your energy's on point, your sleep's good, like yada, yada, yada. And so with that being said, like there's a lot of people right now that I think as far as, as men, one of the things that I know you talk about other than how fitness is important is the ability to express emotions as men, right? And I think we're often told that we shouldn't speak up as men. We shouldn't cry. We shouldn't express when we're angry or frustrated or whatever. And it's like, that's not the case. And in fact, there's a lot of studies shown that when you do that, when you do suppress your emotions, it leads into much more pain over the long term. So how do you talk to whether it's your kids or maybe the people you coach into being able to express their emotions in a healthy way that's conducive to personally becoming a better version of themselves? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a misconception that we're supposed to suppress our emotions. People even think that about the term stoicism, like you're supposed to suppress your emotion. That's not what stoicism is, really. I mean, really, it's just understanding of emotions. And so that's what I talk with the guys about is that I, I consider emotions very similar to the gauges on your dashboard of your vehicle. You don't get mad when you look at the speedometer and it's going faster than, your car's going faster than the speed limit. You just adjust the speed limit, right? Like that's all you do. You just adjust, you pivot. Or if you see the, the fuel gauge is getting low, you, you don't get like pissed at the fuel gauge, the actual indicator. You're just like, oh, I guess I ought to pull over and get some gas and you get gas and fill up and you go on about your way. That's the same thing with emotions. It's like people get so upset and so worked over. It's like, it's just an indicator. That's all it is. If you're happy, good. It's that, that's an indicator as to why you're happy. Do more of that. If you're sad, okay, then your objective is to figure out why you're sad or why you're mad or why you're glad or happy or, or whatever, guilty, remorseful, jealous, and then make decisions based on using your emotions as an indicator, not the only indicator, there's rationale and reasoning and logic and these other things that go into consideration, but it's just a metric. It's just a metric. It's nothing more. And so if we give our emotions too much power or alternatively, we don't give them enough credit, then I think we do ourselves a disservice. So it's about finding that middle ground of using them as a metric. They are there for a reason, but not giving them so much power that we make decisions based solely on emotion and nothing else. It's just another indicator that you can use to figure out whether or not you're on track or not. Yeah. Because I think the more we express ourselves and the more we put ourselves out there and what they call it, like speaking your truth this day and age and being honest with who we are, the more aligned we can be with not only who we are as a person, but what we want to do, who we want to serve, who we want to help. If we want to build a business, it all comes back from who we truly are internally to be able to express it like externally. And so the next thing I kind of want to get into with you is that I would say that there's a lot of people, including myself, that want to be a dad, but are kind of nervous because of the world we live in. We see it evolving and changing so much. And it's like, man, like, where do I even start? There's so many distractions. You got social media, you got, you know, this on TV, you got that on YouTube. 
like what advice do you have for new parents or people who want to be parents as far as like how to raise like kids in a way that will set them up not only for success, but to be like a good human being? That's a really broad question. So I'll do my best to answer yeah. that. Look, I, my job is to put myself out of work. And I say, I, I tell the guys, my job is to render myself obsolete. I mean, that's really what it is. If I can put myself out of work and be in the position where my kids don't need me, they, they want me, right? They want me around. They value my input and my advice and me being there, but they don't need me to be there to be self-sustaining, contributing members of society. Then I've done my job well. Mm. So when I have a first time fathers ask me, what do I do? Just remember your job is to put yourself out of work. Now, when you have a one-year-old or a newborn, obviously there's not a whole lot you can do there, but as they get older, you'll see more opportunities that where you can allow them to lead and allow them just enough rope where they don't hang themselves, but they feel the consequences of the decisions they're making and they begin to make their own decisions. And that's my job. I look at it as a, yes, a father, certainly, but the role I play is that of mentor. So I'm like, I'm helping you. I'm coaching you. I'm leading you. I'm showing you what to look for and what not to look for, but I'm not making all of your decisions for you. And I do that at a very, very young age with my children mm. because I want them over a course of, I would say 15, 16 years. I don't say 18 years because at one, two years old, how much can you possibly do? But right, right. 14 to 15 years, I have to be able to train them to be those self-sustaining contributing members of society. So I think if you maintain your perspective in, as one of putting yourself out of work, and look, there's not enough parents who do that. We have helicopter parents, and they tie up their entire identity in being a father or a mother. And then when their kids are gone, they recognize that that's being a threat. So then they mm. hamstring their kids, so they'll be around forever. And I think a lot of these people do it subconsciously. But it's a real shame and a real travesty to what they're doing with their kids because they're conditioning them not to be prepared for the real world and what they're going to have to face. And then it is, is it any wonder why we have grown men, adults living in their parents' basement? Like, why would you do that? When I graduated, I left for a senior trip. So I was 18. I left for a senior trip for three or four days. I came back. Uh, the next day I moved out because that's what you're supposed to do. There was no hard feelings. There was no animosity. My mother and I had a great relationship she was excited for me. I, I was scared, of course, and nervous about what the future held. But we got packed and we got moved out. And that's just what you do because that's life. It's life. But she spent 18 years preparing me for that. And there's too many parents who aren't doing that now. And so you have these, these adult-aged individuals who aren't men and who aren't women that are acting more like afraid, timid little boys and girls. And mm. It's a real shame. and It's a real detriment to society, not a, let alone them. Yeah, you're right. One of the best books I've read, I don't know if you've read it or not, uh, in the last few years, is called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it mm -hmm. goes into, like, when you don't expose kids to stress and adversity, like when you are the helicopter parent, and you, like, hide them. It, like, prepares yeah. them to respond to it and fail because they're not used to it, right? They, they compare it to, like, the peanut butter allergy where, like, or the peanut allergy where you're, if you're not exposing kids to peanuts, that's how the peanut allergy actually happens because no one's being exposed to it, right? And it's just kind of like the same thing with adversity. Like, if your kids aren't exposed to stress and they're not trying to figure it out on their own, and of course, it, guiding them along the way when they're young, being alongside them, not doing it for them on how to, to think critically for themselves and to kind of get through it on their own. 
then when they get out of college, because eventually they're going to go to college, they're going to go off on their own. They're going to have to think for themselves, right? When they're not at home. And that's where you're seeing a lot of kids just go out and they lose themselves to alcoholism, drugs, because they just can't deal with the stress. They can't deal with the right. adversity because they've been shown that people will take care of it for them. And it's just not the way the world works. Like ideally, I mean, yes, if you have a problem, would you love to snap your finger and it go away? I mean, if, sure, who wouldn't want that? But at the end of the day, it's not how the world works, you know? And I think it just as somebody from my own experience, I, growing up, I didn't have, I don't think, I didn't have the parent figures that show me how to deal with stress in a healthy way. My, my relationship with my parents was volatile at times growing up because of everything they were going through. And I, I chose to deal with it in an unhealthy way. And looking back, if I had been taught or shown even through my own doing to like, okay, when something doesn't go wrong, like I need to take responsibility. I need to apologize. I need to say, you know what? I shouldn't have done this. Here's what I can do better. Mm-hmm. You know, would I have turned to drugs to numb my pain and keep going? I mean, I really don't know, but my point is I agree with you hundred percent. And it starts with you, right? I know you talk a lot about, you have to take care of yourself first, right? You have to. And I think that gets like a, like a wrong meaning because people are like, oh, you're being selfish, but no, like how the hell are you going to be a good husband, wife, parent, teacher, coach, whatever you're doing, if you're not even taking care of yourself. And I think we lose ourselves as people because we automatically assume that doing stuff for ourselves means that we're being selfish and it's totally wrong. So what are a few things, I mean, if you want to share that you do every single day religiously, other than fitness to kind of keep your mind like stable and sane so that you can be like the best version of you for your family, for your clients, the podcast and everything else. Yeah. I, I train jujitsu just about every day. That mm. certainly helps right now. I'm, I'm gearing up for a couple of hunts. So I'm shooting both my bow and arrow every, every day. That might just be 20 arrows and it might be a hundred. It just depends on the day, but every day I'm out there shooting my bow. And then the other thing I do, and my notepad's over there on my desk, but the other thing I do is I plan out every single day. Like I plan it out. I sit down every morning, I plan out, okay, here's what I need to do. It actually starts the night before because I've got a running list. Here's what I need to do today. Here's what I need to accomplish. Here's the order in which I'm going to accomplish it. Here's some buffer just in case. Like I recorded a podcast earlier today and the whole the whole thing just didn't record or didn't work and I'm like well shit but if I didn't build in that buffer time I'd have been pretty stressed out about that fortunately I built it in and it's okay we got it taken care of and then the last thing I do at the end of each work day is I go through that same list and I just recap okay what did you get done what didn't get done what's the priority tomorrow what emails have come up that may change the priority and so I tweak it and adjust it based on what I'll need to accomplish for the next day. So those are a few things that I do that keep me grounded. They keep me on point. They keep me focused and they allow me to maximize my, my time. And that's all time that's spent by myself, except for the jujitsu thing. Obviously I'm with either my son training or with other training partners, but outside of that, it's, it's time for myself and it's time to reflect and time to focus and it keeps me on track. Yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've always kind of wanted to get into martial arts just because it's something I've never done. And I love challenging myself, especially in the physicality arena, just to yeah. do something I've never done. And that's come up Krav Maga, something I wanted to experiment with as well. I know you spent time in the military and thank you for your service. One of my closest friends 
was in the spec ops and he was just saying, you know, how he had to learn that. And he was like, dude, if you're going to take one thing, he see, obviously he recommended like jujitsu. And then he's like, if there's another thing I would recommend, it's Krav Maga. And I was like, you know what? Like if this guy is recommending, I'll go try it. I mean, it just, it just looks like interesting. I'm like, wow, it's challenging mindset, discipline, defense, knowing what to do in a situation, because that's really what you're preparing yourself for, right? Is when you get yourself in a situation when you're having to protect, serve, defend yourself, which hopefully it never has to happen. But in the event it does, it's just about being prepared for, I think people like get that wrong, that if you're doing something like that, you're like violent or you're like, want to fight. It's like, no, it's more about being prepared if something does go wrong, right? Because we right. live in a world, you have no idea right. what's going to happen. You have no idea who's going to come in your house at random. You have no idea what's going to happen at a restaurant. You have no idea, Right. And one of the other things I want to touch on too is like part of, I think for me, and I know for you as well, to keep us like level-headed insane is having mentors and having people around us that are elevating us. So what role has mentors played in your life and in your growth personally and professionally? And how do you kind of evaluate like who's in your like inner circle? Like how, how do you evaluate who kind of stays in there for the long haul? The, the evaluation's easy. Like if they're on the track and they're further ahead than me and they're on a path that I want to be on, then that's somebody I keep in my circle. I mean, it's as simple as that, yeah. you know, as long as I'm adding value to their life and they're continuing to add value to my life from a mentorship perspective, obviously I'm a little bit, a little bit more scrutiny on that, especially because I might be paying that individual. Of course. But as long as the results are, are happening, then that's somebody who's, going to continue to be my coach or my mentor or in my circle. But yeah, I mean, mentors are invaluable. A lot of things you could do on your own. You could figure it all out. Like if you wanted a podcast or you wanted to get strong or you wanted to build a business, you could figure all that stuff out. Other people have done it. Surely you and I could do that. Of course. But I want to accelerate it. Yeah. Like I don't want it to take five years. I want it to take one year. Yeah. And through mentorship and them telling you, Hey, do this, change this, tweak that, look out for these pitfalls, jump on this, do this. That accelerates the entire process for you. So people will say, oh, coaching is so expensive. Well, try not coaching. <laughs> like <laughs> you want expensive, that's expensive. When I grew my financial planning practice in the early years, man, I really struggled. And I spent, not spent, but I will say I lost out on hundreds of thousands of dollars because I was too arrogant or too ego driven or too greedy to hire a mentor and I ended up biting me. So yeah, if you want to improve, if you want to get it done, you can do it by yourself. If you want to do it fast and effectively and efficiently, then bring on coaches and mentors because they're going to help you exponentially and they're worth their weight in gold. God, it's so much truth to that. And some of my biggest successes as well in business and professionally have come because of hiring mentors and having people that have gone before me and been like, okay, like they've been doing this for 15, 20 years. If they could short circuit with me with all the teaching me all the lessons they've learned, all the things they would go back and redo, and maybe things they would change, how they kind of see things now and make the 15, 20 year journey five and not to like rush and cut corners, but being like, like, here's what I've learned. Here's the blueprint for what works. Like follow successful people and watch what they do. And then hire somebody right. whose shoes you want to be in one day and kind of follow along that journey. And I think so many times people are afraid to spend the money. And I will say like, what's the, the dark side of not spending the money is you're spending more, you're making less money, you're spending more time, you're draining your energy, you're draining your health, doing things you don't want to be doing when really you could save yourself long-term more money, time, and energy if you end up hiring somebody that can kind of point you in the right direction, right? So you've had so much success, man, like between 
being in the military and then bouncing back from your rock bottom moment personally and pivoting into this order of man where now you've built one of the most incredible podcasts there is on iTunes. It's always like topping the charts in society and culture category. You've been connected and on some amazing shows too with Jocko and Andy Frisella and, and stuff, stuff like that. Like what's next for you? Like, is it continuing to put your message out there and coaching more men to inspire them to be like prepared for the world or what's, what do you got coming up next? Another book? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is, man. Is just continue to do more of the same and reach more people and, and try to influence more people and get better at sharing the message and the craft and thinking about new ways to deliver important content. Mm -hmm. I, I see an, another book on the horizon I don't have any like big specific, like this is exactly what I want to do yeah, because yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm on the right path. Mm. I'm really excited about what I'm doing and I'm just going to double down and I'm going to keep doubling down and I'm going to do more of it and I'm going to do bigger and I'm going to do better and I'm going to reach more people and I'm going to reach the right people and I'm going to have the right conversations and ask the right questions and and I don't see an end in sight. Like the this isn't something where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this for 10 years and then I'm going to sell it or I'm going to pivot or I'm going to do something. Else. Right. I, I can't fathom that right now. So what am I going to do? More of the same, just better, bigger, more efficiently and effectively. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about taking responsibility and control of your own life is that you're able to make those own decisions and be at peace knowing with where, like where you're going and knowing that as long as I'm in control and being accountable to myself and working on getting better in my business every day, working on myself every day, my relationships, like things are going to evolve in the way that they're meant to. And I think so many times we put this, these expectations that we should be somewhere in like 10 years and like, all right, this is my 10 year plan. I'm going to grow this podcast. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to grow this. I'm going to sell it. And I'm just going to like, like wait for things to come to me and happen. Right. When really success comes from just doing the, the right things daily that are aligned with who you are. And when people I think fall off track is that they try to short circuit their own success by saying, you know what, like I, I I'm, I'm going to do this for the wrong reasons. I just want to make a ton of money. I just want to make, I want to look cool. And so what, what I really, like I've said numerous times on the show is the thing I really admire about you most is how authentic you are to your belief system and who, what you stand for and how you respond to criticism. So what I wanted to, to have you share is how do you deal with criticism and what are, what are some, maybe like a tip or maybe you have like a quick saying of when someone's like struggling when they are facing criticism on what they're, when they're posting, like what they truly believe on social media. I don't, I don't. I mean, look, I'm not going to tell you it doesn't get to me when people criticize or mock or ridicule. Of course, I'm a human being. Of course it does. Right. But I I don't deal too, too much with criticism. Not that I don't have it. It's not, it's just that I don't care. Like I really don't. If, if, if you disagree or you think I'm an asshole or you think I'm a dick because I like Joe Rogan or because I posted this or whatever, then fine. Like I think of that guy that you're talking about who says, I didn't want to work with you. I'm like, good. You would have been a pain in the ass anyway. Right. Right. That's easy for me to say because I didn't lose out. I agree. agree, And I think it would have been because I remember the person was making some very like, like aggressive comments about it. I was like, Oh, like, well, where's the research? And like, do your own re I'm like, I'm like, you're saying, you're saying you're calling somebody names and calling somebody out with it's pretty like bold statements. Like I was just curious, like what, like, what is it? And you're right. The whole criticism thing. Like I just know in my, my gut, my heart, my post or what I post is meant 
is aligned with who I am and it's meant to make the world a better place. It's not meant to directly attack anybody. And so I'm okay with it. I'm sure with a lot of what you do, what's so aligned with who you are that you're like, you know what? Like they're just not meant to be in my path and that's okay. Like not everyone's going to agree with everyone. I think that's the, the trap we fall into is that we expect everyone to agree with us. And if they don't agree with us, right. or they have a difference of opinion. It's like, we shouldn't even, we shouldn't surround ourselves with them or they're a bad person. And I honestly think that's what's where we've gotten it wrong is because we know we all going to have, we all want the same thing as before you and I were recording. We all want a good economy. We all want to make a living, support our family, everybody to get along to evolve as humans. It's just, I think we get, we get lost in the weeds with just trying to think that everybody's going to agree with every single thing that we believe in with regards to how we get there. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I, there's a great book called the four agreements. You may have read it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the agreements is take nothing personally. Right. Don't take anything personally. And that's what I try to do. When somebody wants to criticize or mock or ridicule, I just think, okay, like this person's going through their own thing, whatever Mm. that thing is. And they're bitter, they're contentious, or they have a bunch of animosity built up, or they're angry about this one thing. And there's nothing I can do about that other than usually I'll just respond back. And I try not to be snarky or like quit back. Like I just okay, that's fine. Good. I wish you the best. Like I'm, I'm being genuine. I, I really do wish you the best. I hope you find what you're looking for. And if it's, if it's bad, I might block somebody that I usually don't block a whole lot of people. Cause right. I think, I think the idiots that do sometimes come out of the woodworks deserve to be exposed. And if I block them, then they won't be exposed. So yeah, I just, I keep driving on and I try to maintain focus on the people who are positively impacted by my work for mm. every one comment of somebody who says, oh, I can't believe this and complains about it. There's quite literally three, four five dozen comments that are like, man, I'm so glad you said that you, you said something I've been thinking for a long time or, Hey, the way you, you know, articulated this message really res. I'd heard that before, but never quite put that way. And it was really interesting and it helped me get through this thing. And so it's really where you place your emphasis, right? If you're going to place your emphasis on the negativity and, and, and the contention, then you're going to be negative and contentious. <laughs> like you're going to get drawn into it because that's where your attention and energy are going. But if you decide to focus your energy and attention on the people who are positive and encouraging and respect and appreciate what you're doing, then that's, you're going to do more of that. So w- where you direct your resources, that's like in the wealth building process, there's a lot of places you can put your money. There's a lot of places you can invest. Some are better than others. You put them into crappy investments, you get low yields or you lose money. Put them into good, prudent, smart, wise investments, you have yields. So the returns come to you. And it's the same thing with your time and attention on social media. It's the same thing with your your business partner, with your spouse. However you invest your time and energy is the returns that you're going to yield or lack thereof. Yeah. I don't know who says that. I don't know. I think I heard Ed Milet say it. Somebody said something. I don't know whose quote this is or whatever, but they said like your obsessions become your possessions. Right. And that Mm. whatever you obsess over, like literally will possess you. Like, so if you're obsessing over all the negativity in your life, whether it's negative feedback, whether it's the money you don't have relationships, you don't have the fact that you are overweight, like all the bad stuff, that's going to be what consumes you on a daily basis. You're going to look in the mirror and be like, you know what? Like I'm 50 pounds overweight. My relationships suck. I'm not making any money. And it inhibits you from actually taking action into something positive where you're like, okay, I'm going to acknowledge the negative crap in my life. Maybe I'm acknowledging the, I'm like, okay, I have some negative comments. I do have to lose some weight. Uh, my money isn't where it is, but here's what I'm going to do about it. Like, it's just like the whole, right. the whole theme of this episode was, 
well, what are you going to do about it? Like, th- that's your situation. This is what you're doing. Like, like, what are you going to do about it? Right. Exactly. And, and I think for every, you're right. For every few negative things we have in our lives, even to this day, there's so much more positive that we do have, especially right now. I think it's so much more valuable for people to do something, whether it's gratitude, whether it's just a journal where they're like writing down things that they have in their life, just to change their mindset and being like, okay, like there's a lot of things that probably aren't going our way right now as a society. There's plenty of good, right? There's plenty of good things happening. There's plenty of good things coming out of this. There's plenty of businesses being started. There's plenty of relationships that are ending that that needed to end for you to get to the next level in your life. You're meeting new people along the way. I mean, I go on and on and on. And I think the important thing is that if you put all of your energy and all of your perspective into what's wrong with yourself and in your life, then you're going to be in that victim trap and in that negative mindset for the rest of your life, because you're not going to be able to get out on the other side and say, what's positive. Well, the positive thing is you got all these problems in your life, but what's also positive, I mean, what's negative is you have all these problems in your life, but the positive is you have the ability to change that and become the solution based on your actions. So I, once again, man, wanted to kind of thank you for coming on. I know your time's valuable. I admire you just as, as far as who you are as a person, which you put out there and also as a fellow podcast host, I've been listening to your show for a while and it's inspiring. It's incredible to see what you've accomplished over the last several years that I've been following you. So where can people, if they want to get more of what you're doing with order of man, your coaching stuff, where can they get more info about that? Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity. You're listening to a podcast. So if you like podcasts then search for order of man, wherever you're listening, whether it's Stitcher, Pandora, iTunes, wherever, and you're going to find our podcast. Outside of that, I would say our headquarters at orderofman.com. And we have this new battle ready program. It's a free course. It's designed to give men specifically. We have had some women go through it, but I, I speak predominantly with men, the tools and resources they need to thrive and to build a plan for growth and expansion over a 30-day time frame. So you can go to orderofman.com slash battle ready for that. So I'd say the podcast and again, orderofman.com slash battle ready. Those are probably the best two places to go and connect with me on the socials too. I'm there. Cool. Well, thanks again, man. And for those who are listening, it's going to be one of those episodes you're going to want to listen to several times. Not only the story that of what Ryan has been able to accomplish in this transformation, but just the simple lessons he shares about when you're facing adversity or you're facing a place where you're in the blame game or you're in that that, that hamster wheel, which we, we get into from time to time. I'm sure he still gets into it. I get into it of being a victim but it's how you get out of it that counts. If you stay in that same wheel forever and ever and ever, it's when you set yourself up for failure. But if you acknowledge it and be like, all right, like I'm going to feel sorry for myself for 30 minutes, two hours, whatever. And then like, what am I going to do about it? That shift kicks in. That's how the game changes and you learn and you create new thought patterns for when something does happen. It's not, you're not your fallback and your default isn't like, what was me? It's like, well, what can I do about it? And right. I remember this the a prime example that's coming to my mind now of last year I had missed a flight and I've never missed a flight in my entire life. I missed a flight. I'm at the airport. It was just this weird thing that happened. I was at the airport, forgot to get to the gate, just was like walking around, lost track of time, missed my flight. And I could have panicked. I could have said, well, it was me, like gotten all pissed off, which I mean, I obviously, you know, wasn't happy, but I was like, well, what am I going to do about it? I'm at the airport. I need to find a flight home. 
So that took years of practice and years of like responding to those situations in that sort of way. So again, connect with Ryan. If you appreciate this episode, take a screenshot, tag Ryan, tag myself with your biggest takeaway. And we love to hear feedback as well. So if you really appreciate this episode and touch your heart, leave us a review. And uh, once again, I thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.